Praise God, you guys. Please uh, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 15. I know we're going through Revelation, and this is part three of a Revelation study. If you go, ever go through our Revelation study, I know some, somebody just contacted me and said, man, I've been reading the book of Revelation. They just started coming to fellowship and looking through forward to going through the series. And, uh, and I thought, well, this Revelation, if you're going through, you'll learn a lot of prophecy, but I tried to make some devotional things in there because a lot of devotional things, messages here and there. And we took off and didn't study Revelation, did a lot of devotional things and practical things and came back. But I tried to also present Revelation in, in, a, in, a, in a devotional way. And right now we've gotten into a little series and we've jumped off the passage in Revelation chapter 22, which is where we're at, uh, the first few verses where the throne, God's throne in New Jerusalem, where we will live with him forever and ever, uh, that there'll be a river of life coming from that throne, coming in the Father and the Son, who's called the Lamb there. The water of life, this, this huge river flows from their throne. And on all, both sides, what kind of tree do you have? The tree of what? The tree of life bearing all kinds of fruit. 12 different types of fruit, a different fruit every month. And Ezekiel indicates these are different types of trees as well, but called the tree of life. It's all the same type in the sense of the tree of life. So who knows, there could be thousands of different types of fruit that issue forth from these various trees. And we're going to be in, a, in paradise. No more sorrow, no more pain, uh, eternal joy, eternal love, eternal bliss. And we look forward to that. But I was pointing out to you that right now we are to experience God's river in the spiritual sense, that issuing from the Father and the Son, because Jesus could not send us the Holy Spirit until he what? Paid for our sins in the, Holy, in the sense that the Holy Spirit would live in us. And the Bible says we bear the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love and peace and joy and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and meekness and self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit that we bear. And in the first message I did on this, we looked at 10 different fruits mentioned in the New Testament. Besides the fruit of the Spirit. By the way, when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, it's all under one singular word, fruit. So the fruit of the Spirit is all like, comes out of, is all one fruit. And I believe it's all tied to the first mentioned fruit there, love. Because when you have the love of God in your heart, then you experience His peace. You experience His joy. You experience his long-suffering. You experience gentleness and, and goodness and faithfulness and, and meekness and self-control because you're walking in love, amen? So when I say 10, I don't mean I counted those nine and then added one more. We looked at 10 different fruit and counted that as one in the New Testament. Then in part two, we started going through John chapter 15, whereas Jesus says that the Father is a gardener, he is the vine, and we are the branches, and that we are to remain vitally attached to him if we're going to bear much fruit, Amen. And that we need to abide in Christ and, and trust in Him, amen, and His Word and so forth. And we'll bear much fruit. And we talked about why I believe that it mentions the Father and the Lamb and emphasizes the term Lamb as why the river comes forth because the Lamb of God was slain, right? We talked about how Jesus talked about how He'd be glorified after He died for us. Then He'd send the Holy Spirit and He was crucified. Water came out of His side. A river of water and blood. Blood for cleansing. Water is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, those who believe in Me, rivers of living water will gush from their innermost beings. Amen. We'll experience in that water that Jesus spoke of in John 7, 35 through 39. It says that He was referring when He says, come to Me. If anyone's thirsty, let him drink. Amen. And these rivers of life will flow from His innermost being. That 
these, wa- these waters referred to, it says, the Holy Spirit who had not yet been given. Well, now the Holy Spirit's given, amen? He said the Holy Spirit's with you, but he shall be in you, amen? Now we have the Holy Spirit, the river that comes from the Father and from the Lamb and his sacrifice. I'm trying to let you see the puzzle pieces all fit together. You know, and that's why we, I, I love my brothers and sisters at Blessed Hope and also in the live stream audience, the, part, the people, the brothers and sisters that are, that are kindred because they're in the Word. They love the Word. And you have to be patient with the studies here to a degree. By the time you get to the end, things will click. But sometimes we look at these different pieces and we put them together for you. you know, the Scriptures actually put them together. The Holy Spirit puts them together. And we see how it fits together. It causes our hearts to rejoice because we see the plan of God from like a diamond that reflects all these different, refracts all these different colors, right? And with such beauty. That's what His Word is. And we're looking at this, the, the Father and the Lamb issuing forth this river that's literal in the future. But right now we experience it in the context of the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit by abiding in Christ. We experience His Spirit now. Amen? Amen. In heaven, you'll experience a literal river coming from His throne, but you'll also experience the river of His Spirit. Amen? In, in, great, in great fullness, along with fellowship with the Father and the Son. So go to John 15, because this is part three, where we looked at the first verses of this. The last few verses we went through, I kind of skimmed because I was looking at the clock and I wanted to make sure that the kids in the nursery aren't all screaming and crying, you know, and the, and, the, and the nursery workers aren't pulling out their hair, you know, like, oh no, you know, and because uh, I had a brother, well-meaning brother saying, Joe, I feel like when you stop right then, you know, he's telling somebody else, I go, hey bro, I need to do that, man. He goes, I feel like, you know, you're obeying the clock. And I go, Bro, you know, because the Bible says, let everything be done decently and in order, amen? And I know biblically they didn't have a stopwatch and they're like, oh, God, he's got to be done at this minute, you know? So I know we're not doing that. I, I go freely, as you know, <laughs> a few minutes over every time, pretty much, almost. I try, but I used to go 15 minutes over every time. But we have to make sure we don't just think of our own selves getting the word, right? We got to think of the people doing nursery and so forth and kids that need a change, diaper or whatever, you know, and I love that brother I kid with him. I go, well, you don't work in, mer- mer- have you ever worked in nursery, bro? <laughs> he goes, no, you got me. <laughs> Great brother. But I love it because he, this is the brother that loves the word. He just wants to hear the word. He's like, let's, you know, let's stay in the word. And, uh, oh, we have the longest services probably in Simi Valley by far. So it's encouraging that. Uh, we get in the word and the Lord is awesome. Now, John chapter 15. John chapter 15. But I would that everybody, like that brother, I was saying that, would love the Word and want to hear more of the Word. Amen? Because, man, the Word is important. And part of abiding in Christ is abiding in His Word. Amen? Now, in John chapter 15, verse 1, we'll just go over the first verses that we've already gone through, but we'll look at them very briefly. I am the vine, or I am the true vine. We talked about what that means. Instead of false vine, we'll have time to go over that. We've already talked about that. It's the last message. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Now, notice, this is what's interesting to me. Jesus is the vine, and we are attached to him as branches that are in him, and we must rely on him. Amen? Amen. And really pay attention. Because a lot of times you get into it, how, you know, I get out of a lot of times what I, pr- I pray before uh, I do messages off and on for quite a while, saturate myself in prayer. 
and ponder the scripture and, and think it through and, and ask the Lord, please give me things that will bear fruit in my brothers and sisters that will stretch them, that will challenge them, that will encourage them to grow. But you should also be praying, Father, help me receive your word, you know, and help me grow today on your way to, way to church and help me be challenged and strengthened, amen? And when that's happening, you know, that, that, that's when you get really blessed. I had a bro brother, Big Jim, came up to me, uh, Sanford over there uh, after last service, and he didn't catch the f last service, you know, until later. He would listen to it later because he said a brother came down, or he saw a brother when he came down because he was watching the kids up there. So, you know, he's not the brother that I said, well, you don't do nursery to. <laughs> and he goes, man, I, can't, I was looking forward to hear the message because a brother that was there said that was the best message he'd ever heard preached for him. It was for him. That, you know, different messages hit different people in different ways. But it was his favorite message that he had ever heard, he said. And he encouraged Jim. Jim, you got to hear it, you know. And then Jim heard it, and he encouraged me. And he said, man, I was really blessed with that message. Jim's a man of the word, you know. Well, you need to be in the word, and you need to have an open heart. And you need to want to drink of God's word to get out of it. Amen? If you're just thinking, what am I going to do later, you know. Okay, I'm putting in my time. I'm going to church. That's not the heart to have. The heart to have is to say, Lord, what can I glean from your truth? Speak to me by your spirit. Help me understand your word better and help it intersect with my life in such a way that I'm challenged to live it out in my life. Amen. And both these brothers, Jim and the other brother that said that to him, they have strong walks with Jesus because they love the word. They're imbibing the word. The other brother that said, man, I wish the message were even longer. You know, he loves the word of God and his life reflects the word of God. It's beautiful to see, you know. And I see that all over the, the fellowship here. But guess what? Jesus, when he... It's, it's a blow mine here because did you know just like we rely on Jesus, the vine, and therefore we rely on the gardener too, the father. And the father's the gardener, Jesus the vine, and we're the branches that grow out of the vine. Do you know Jesus in a, very, in a very similar way as the vine has to rely on the gardener? He has to rely on his father as the gardener. And by doing that, he serves as a model, the perfect model for us as to what it means to abide in the vine. In fact, it's interesting. Listen to what Jesus said in John 5.30. By myself, I can do nothing. Does that sound familiar? Because in John 15, he says, apart from me, you, the branches, could do nothing. But in John 5.30, he says, by myself, I can do nothing. And then in John 14.10, he said, it is my Father, it is, a, it is my Father in me who is doing the work. Isn't that amazing? And that's very similar to what the New Testament teaches about us. Amen? Apart from him, we could do nothing. And as Paul said, he talked about how he worked harder than everybody. But he said, by the energy that comes from the Holy Spirit and the work that the Lord is doing in us. And while we're called, the Bible says that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It goes on to say in verse 13 of Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, that it's God that's in work in us. Amen? He's at work in us, right? To, to do in his will and perform his work. And it's a beautiful thing. Now, it's interesting because when Jesus is saying, you know, um, apart from him, I could do nothing, and it's him that does the work in me, it doesn't mean that he's not God. That's, they're both in the Gospel of John. How does John start? Very first few verses. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the same was beginning with God, and, you know, and nothing came into being but by him. Everything that was created was created by him, Jesus, and who is God with the Father, Amen. But he became a man and he relied on the power of the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit to do all kinds of miracles. But, didn't, but he didn't cease, as some say, and it's a false teaching, that he ceased to be God while he was on earth. No. 
Because before Abraham was, he says, I am. Well, is he still the I am when he's on the planet? Of course he is. When they come to arrest him and they say, are you the one? Are you the Christ? He says, I am. <laughs> they all fall down, all the soldiers. <laughs> I do believe there's a couple times he manifested his deity <laughs> and didn't simply rely on the Holy Spirit, but mostly he relied on the Holy Spirit to do his miracles. But I believe when he said, I am, he revealed some of his deity. But that wasn't for himself. That was for us to see who he is. But he's giving us the perfect example. Amen as to how to live life and how to abide in him by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now, this gets so incredible. And, I'm, and I hope part three is also very inspiring. I've been praying. You know, Jimmy challenged me. He goes, that was his favorite message ever. You better, I'm looking forward to part three. I'm like, okay, Lord. <laughs> this better impact everybody. But I'm going to give you the word, and the word will impact us. And I'll tell you what. Uh, look at verses two through six now. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it will, may, will bear more fruit. Amen? He wants us to bear more fruit. My dad, totally mutilated. Because some of us think, man, okay. Because guess what? God takes his pruning knife out and he prunes us and cuts dead things away from our lives. And it's painful to bear the pain of God's pruning knife. But every true believer must bear the pruning knife and go through trials and go through experiences whereby the Lord prunes evil things that are destructive to our lives because he loves us and cares for us out of our lives. But my dad, I remember when I was a little kid, and I remember he butchered a tree in the front yard. And I knew my dad, I was, he was my favorite guy to get a haircut from, you know. In fact, I was so miserable. I mean, we were, I was growing up during the hippie era as a little kid, you know. So I was born in 63, and I'm a little kid, and I'm seeing all these guys with long hair, and my dad's giving me these crew cuts, you know? And, he, and you don't think you're so cool when you got a crew cut, so you just got to beat the, the bully here, you know? And I got these crew cuts, but my dad started letting it grow out, you know? And I remember my mom, I was like, my, my mom, I'm probably crying to her as this little boy, can you come my hair this time? And she gets something from a neighbor that you comb, and you comb it, and it cuts. And then I had jagged hair all over. It looked really funky, you know? And then my dad would cut my brother Tom's hair and my hair. Because, you know, what we were called, uh, we had nicknames. Bo, big, I was Big Bo, and he was Little Bo. And I hung out with the guys my age, but I also hung out with the old guys older than me that were four or five years older than me because I'd go to the park and play football with them that were in my neighborhood because I loved to play football. And they'd give me the ball because I could run really good. A smaller guy because I was one of the younger guys. And I, they gave me a nickname when I'd hang out with them because they all had nicknames because there was scale, you know. I hung out with his younger brother and him a few years older than me, four years, four or five, held out with, or there was Monk, Big Monk, Little Monk, there was Vain Dog, and all these names, and I was, but I didn't know how I got the name Big Bo, and my little brother got the name Little Bo, but years later, and I was getting bigger than them, and I asked Vain Dog, <laughs> Mark, uh, Mark Senna, I said, hey Mark, I go, how, why do you guys name us Big Bo and Little Bo? And he goes, because when you guys were little, it looked like you, your dad put a bow, bowl over your head and cut your hair. <laughs> so he's called you big, we just shortened it big bow, little bow, you know. I got, oh, really? It was worse than I thought by other people's perception, you know. <laughs> uh, but what he would do is he would uh, cut our hair like this, diagonal. So when you put bro cream in it, which back in the day was called bro cream, you know, the gel, he'd put it, it'd go like that. He was never taught. He just... I guess he saw that. 
But guess what? I didn't use bro cream unless it was like Sunday morning. You stuck some on there. So I went down around like that, wearing my hair like that, you know. He taught me to be tough as a little boy, you know. So, uh, but, so my dad, I thought, okay, he can't cut hair very good. He's a great dad. He's great in so many ways. He's awesome. But I didn't think he cut hair very good. And I really didn't think he knew how to cut a tree because my friends, we had a huge carob tree in our front yard. And carobs, these are the long kind of dense things with seeds in them. You, you know, we, we used to chuck them at each other and have fights with the carobs. It was a huge, big, beautiful tree. We'd get up there in tr- that big tree in the front yard. We had a big one, another big tree in the backyard, a different kind of tree. But in the front yard, we get lost in those two trees. Nobody could see us. We chuck them at each other. You don't bite into the carobs. I found that makes your mouth just turn numb, you know. I know that because I probably was a dumb kid, tried it like 10 or 15 times, thinking it might be different finally sometime, but no, you know. And anyway, one day my dad just butchered that tree. And it was still up. But this huge tree, it's like the, anything left on, on its stalk was stumping in, in the main body of the tree was just maybe 10, 12 foot long limbs when it used to be huge. And one of my neighbors said, Joe, what did your dad do to your tree? And I'm looking at the tree. I'm like, no, and there's no caribers there. I can't climb it anymore. And I'm like, that's a bummer. It was such a cool tree. So I thought, man, my dad cuts trees as bad as he cuts hair, you know. So I thought, until springtime came, and it was this big, beautiful, round, lush tree. And then the next spring came, and it was huge, and it was one of the nicest trees in the block. I was like, wow, I think my dad does know what he's doing, you know? You know, I didn't know anything about pruning trees. He did, obviously, and it was this big, beautiful tree, you know? And it's funny how, as Mark Twain had said, how, you know, how smart he realized his dad was after he got older, you know? And uh, it's true, you, you know, you start to see wisdom. But you know what? Sometimes we think when we're going through trials, we doubt or we, we wonder if God knows what he's doing when he's pruning us. I can't believe I'm going through this, you know. But he's not an earthly father that may or may not have wisdom. My dad in that case had a lot of wisdom. But he's the perfect father who prunes us perfectly every time. We have no right to say you've made a mistake because God, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. He's perfect. He doesn't make any mistakes. He created the entire cosmos, amen? So when we go through trials and we're being pruned, you don't have to worry about him giving you a bad haircut or taking off too many limbs because he knows exactly what he's doing. Far better than we do because we see through a glass darkly, amen? It says he makes everything beautiful in his time, amen? And he works all things together for the good, for those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. Amen. So when we're going through trials, we need to to rest in the fact that he knows what he's doing. Amen. That he's all powerful. That he's all good. That he's all wise. And those are things you need to remember when you're going through trials. You You need to say, Lord, I know. You know what you're doing. I see through a glass darkly. I'm going to trust you. And sometimes it's not something the Lord's doing. It's trouble you get yourself in. Even worse, to blame God in that kind of situation, amen? Circumstances that you set in motion, and then you blame God? That's ridiculous. But if it's something that he's doing, you still need to give him glory, amen? Because he loves us and he prunes us, as Jesus says. And it's interesting, he says, you know, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Well, that's not good, because we see what happens to those branches in verse 6. So if you're being pruned and you don't bear fruit, it gets ugly. But every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear what? More fruit. And man, there were so many carobs up in that tree after he got, you know, a year or so later. 
It, got, it, it was amazing. Now, verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. We're already clean through the word I've spoken to you. He's, he's cleansed them already, the apostles and uh, 11 apostles, the Jews had already left. He says to this 11 apostles, which applies to us as well, because he told them to go and make disciples throughout the world and to teach them what uh, the disciples, what he, was, what he had taught the apostles, amen? So this is what we're to be teaching to us now. Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. We have to abide in him. Does anybody remember the Greek word for abide that he uses over and over? I told you, told you how many times he uses the word abide in this text. Meno. Amen. It means to stay. It means to continue. It means to remain in a location. It means to abide. And he wants us to abide in him. Verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears what? Much fruit. And I told you, notice the progression from no fruit to some fruit, right? Now to much fruit. He bears what? I'm, he bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, we can do nothing without Jesus. Amen? But guess what? We can do everything through him, and it's important that we get this because there are two problems that most Christians suffer professing Christians suffer, and they go through uh, to one degree or another. And there are opposite sides of a spectrum that keeps them from abiding in Christ. One is pride and arrogance. Pride and arrogance will keep you from abiding in Christ. Why? Because you will, won't recognize that apart from him you can do nothing, and you will become self-sufficient. You'll go throughout your day without praying, without seeking him, without reading his word, because guess what? I'm something special. I don't really need to pray. I don't really need to seek him. I could don't, I, I'm, I'm sufficient in myself. I could do my own thing. And then that keeps you from abiding in Christ. That's very, very serious. Pride and arrogance keep people from seeking God because they think they're so special. The other problem that keeps people from abiding in Christ is on the opposite side of the spectrum. It's it's hopelessness and despair, not pride and arrogance, but hopelessness and despair. That there's no hope. These hurdles, these, these trials, these options are insurmountable. I can't, I can't do it. I can't. And you don't look to the Lord and you just have hopelessness and despair because you're not looking to Jesus, man. Well, guess what? The antidote to both of those problems, pride and arrogance, which brings, breeds self-sufficiency where you don't abide in Christ and, and pray and abide in the vine. And on the other side of the ledger, you know, you have uh, hopelessness and despair. They keep you from relying on the Lord because you're looking to yourself and you realize that you're not only not sufficient, at least you, got the, at least you know that you can't be self-sufficient like the pride and arrogance side, but then you have hopelessness and despair because you still don't look at the answer. The answer to the poison, the antidote to the poison is very, very simple. It's the same answer for both problems, right? What is it? Abide in Christ. And know this truth in verse 5. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Amen? And know the other side of that truth, as Paul said in Philippians 3.12, that through Christ we can do what? All things. Amen? So now you realize, man, I can't be self-sufficient. I'll fall flat on my face. Pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. And also, wow, I've got these huge trials in my life, but God is good. And guess what? 
Apart from him, I can do nothing. I, yeah, I, I can do nothing, but through Christ, I can do all things that if I abide in the vine, I'll bear much fruit. My life will be fruitful and successful and I'll flourish and prosper in Christ. Amen? That's the key, guys. I love this chapter. This is one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. I love uh, John chapter 15. I love all of the Gospel of John, but it's, it's quite, quite amazing. Now, in verse 6, we saw what happened, so we won't dwell long on it, but we talked about this last service. If anyone does not abide, meno, remain, continue, stay in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. We talked about what happens to branches that are in him, that and you, only Christians are in Christ, you know, and they're clean. He already told them that you're clean through the word I've spoken to you, verse 3. So he's telling those who he said are clean that are in him that you have to remain in me. He's telling them, if you don't, this is why this is biblical preaching. He's telling his own elect apostles, if you don't remain in me, you'll dry up, be cut off, thrown in the fire, and they will, or they'll throw you in the fire and burn, and you'll be burned. And we saw in Hebrews, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 13, that it's actually the angels, when he says they here, that throw uh, the apostate and the, you know, uh, throw the wicked into the lake of fire. Now, it's interesting, verse 7 if you abide in me and my words, this is key now. And this is where we started ending last time. But I add a lot of new things that we didn't talk about now in the first five verses or so. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, verse 7, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And toward the end of the message I was telling you that how you abide in his word, how you abide in him, he's getting, he's getting more specific now. Obviously you need to trust him. You need to have faith. Amen. But in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. So now we understand that abiding in him also means that his what? His words are abiding in you. Are Christ's words abiding in you? Colossians 3.16 commands us to let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Well, praise the Lord. Here you are today. What are we studying? The words of Christ. Amen. The word of God. Amen. And if you are accepting his words and you're trusting his words, you're trusting his promises that God so loved the world, as Jesus said, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes him shall not perish but have eternal life. Praise God. You're trusting his promises for salvation. You're, you put your faith in Christ. You're saved. Hallelujah. You're saved right at this moment. You leave here, uh, you get hit by a car or you get food poisoned and die or something like that happens. Be absent from the bodies to be what? Present with the Lord. You are in good shape. In fact, you are in better shape than all of us. Not during the car accident, not while you're like, but right after that, okay? You know, you're with the Father forever. You're with the Son forever. But we must abide in Him, and His Word must abide in us. You know, I know when I'm witnessing if I'm talking to a Christian or not, because a lot of times people say, oh, I'm a Christian. But I'll start asking them questions. When's the last time you read your Bible? You know? Bible, uh... I think I have one still. It's like, you know what? It's full of dust, but I can shake it off. And well, you haven't, oh, it's been like years since I've ever read the Bible. You're not abiding. That guy's not abiding in Christ, you know? When's the last time you've, you, you've, you've thought about Scripture and what Jesus taught? Well, I just know years ago I went up an altar call and I accepted Jesus. And they told me once I was saved, I'm always saved no matter what happens. You're not saved if you're not abiding in Christ. You need to be right with Jesus, Amen. Now, if you abide in me, 
and my words abide in you. Now, this is interesting. I think it's, what we're seeing now is in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done to you. Now, here we're seeing a couple keys to abiding. One key is staying, amen? Just you purposely need to stay close to Jesus. Stay in his presence. Abide in his presence. Menno. The other one is pray. Pray. He's talking about, because we want to bear fruit. How do we bear fruit? We trust him. We abide in his word. Then we act on his word and we pray because he commands us to pray. And then we pray that God will work in our lives. Amen? That God would cause us to be a blessing to other believers. That God would build up believers through us. And then guess what? If you pray, brothers and sisters, this is how simple it gets. There's much to abiding. There's much to bearing fruit and so forth. But if you're bearing just a little bit of fruit, that's evidence of your faith in Christ. If you're just simply praying and say, Lord, use me when I talk to this sister. Lord, use me when I text that sister. Use me, Father, when I encourage that brother. Use me, Lord, when this brother's getting off, Lord, when I, when, I, when I share with him, brother, we love you, man. Or this person who's sick, you know, and they're really hurting right now, or they've lost a loved one. Help me have the right words. As soon as you say those prayers, and then you walk in your prayer, and you seek to encourage them, boom, you're starting to bear fruit right there. It's that simple. You just live for Jesus. Because now the Holy Spirit, you're saying, use me. And he's saying, good, I will now. And you say, Lord, use me. Speak to me and speak through me. And we should all be doing that because this is a connection, you guys. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, whatever you wish, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. The Bible says in 1 John, when we ask anything in accordance with his will, we have it. Is this his will that we're blessing one another? Is it? Absolutely. So just pray to be a blessing. Is it his will that we bear fruit in the lives of others? Yes. Don't just focus on yourself and, and say, I love you, Jesus. I just want to have a good day. No, that's not it, you know? Focus on Jesus. Focus on his kingdom. Focus on his glory. Focus on bearing fruit for his kingdom and loving other people the way he's loved us. Amen? Then you'll bear all kinds of fruit. You got to get your, your heart, you know, and your head out of your, just your own circumstances alone. The Bible says, don't just consider your own interests, but consider the interests of others and esteem others as higher than yourselves. Amen. And condescend to the person of the lower estate. Humble yourselves and help others who are struggling. God's calling us to be strong, just heartfelt, spirit-filled, loving believers. And you can do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't be fruitful without relying on the Holy Spirit. You don't just say, oh, I'll just say whatever comes to my mind and just think of myself and be selfish and narcissistic and, 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 you know, I'll try to be a nice guy. Well, you're not going to pull it off. You might to a degree, but you're going to barking at your wife and, and kicking the dog and, or whatever, you know. You're not going to be the person that you're supposed to be if you're not seeking the Lord. I love this, man. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And I've already covered this, but it's only remind you, this isn't some recipe. The word faith teachers will take this out of context and say, look, we could just ask whatever we want and God will give us. If you want a fleet of jets, if you want a fleet of mansions, or a fleet of mansions, if you want a bunch of mansions, if you want you know, millions, just, just name it, claim it, blab it and grab it. No, because well, he says whatever you wish. Yeah, whatever you wish for the person who's what? In Christ, abiding in the word, and his word is abiding in them. Yeah, that's the context. So if his words abide in me and my words abide in him, his words abide in me and I'm abiding in him, guess what? 
I'm going to wish for the things that he wants for my life. And I'm not saying he might not want you to have a mansion or jets or boats or whatever. Amen? I don't know what God's will is for you. But what I am saying, it's not likely that he wants that for everybody or most Christians. I know he doesn't want it for me because <laughs> I'm, I'm rejoicing doing his will and seeing his kingdom built and being a participant in that because I'm not going to be focused on laying up for ourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break in and steal, you know? I can't get away from just wanting to see God glorified, knowing that I'm going to run, I'm running my race. My poor wife, you know, she keeps telling me, we need a break, we need a break, you know? because we haven't had a real vacation in, in a long time. And I said, we get a few days this year and then take a long vacation next year, maybe a whole week <laughs> or two, who knows, we'll see. And I, I was get away for a few days this, this year sometime because uh, we just burned it on both ends, you know. But you know what, if you ask her, she's full of joy. You ask me, we, she's not saying, you know, she's just saying, can we get away just for a few days? I'm saying, yeah, we will, you know. I mean, not where we're going to ministry because I always look at vacations. Hey, we're going over there to <laughs> share the gospel, you know, it's like a vacation, you know. And uh, there's times we've gotten, we've had some wonderful trips, you know. And uh, so she's been really blessed with that. And the Lord's brought us all over the world. So I look at it and it's like a blessing. But uh, what I'm saying is, I love, it's hard for me to go away and not do anything. And not, how many get like that? You're stir crazy. You're like, I gotta go. You know, I didn't used to be like that, you know, but I've been more and more like that, which is good. Because we, we wanna wanna bear fruit. But you also need your rest, amen, I know that. Joe, if you keep going, you're gonna get burned out. I'm 50, 40 something now, baby? No. <laughs> I'm going to be 59 in, in September, so yeah. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, don't remind me. Uh, but you know what? By the grace of God, not by my own strength. If I thought that was my own strength, I'd be doomed tomorrow. I know purely it's by God's grace. I say it with humility. I'm nothing. If I start walking in my own strength, my wife was saying to me yesterday, I'm wiped out. I don't know where you get all the energy. She knows where I get the energy. I just crowd the Lord over and over again. I have to. Plus, it's my calling. You know, sometimes you're not called to be filled with energy at certain times of the day. I have to be to have my, to do a wedding last night and come home, you know, kind of late and then get my study done and wake up early this morning. I have to have energy quite often, right? I pick my spots to rest. You know, I get my rest. So don't worry. But I'm saying, I'm telling you, I'm zero. I know if I walk, Joe Schimmel walks in his own strength thinking, man, I'm something. I am nothing. And if the Bible says we think we're something, we're really nothing. The Bible says, what have you received, right? How can we boast of what we received? Because anything that you have, it's a gift, amen? That keeps everything in perspective. That's why I always say to you, the only credit I could take, we could take, is for our sin. Well, what about when we just really do the will of God? Well, then Jesus says, you've only done your duty. But even though we've only done our duty like a kid that, you know, learns to walk and you say, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Well, he's supposed to be able to walk if he can walk, right? But then guess what? We, we applaud him. God still applauds us. Well, heard, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord and he's going to reward us according to our works. Even though we don't deserve anything, we deserve hell. Amen? So if you have that perspective, you're like, whatever I get in life is nothing compared to what I deserve. Amen? You need to walk that way. I need to walk that way. Whatever you go through in life that's bad, always remember you deserve a thousand times worse. Amen? And whatever you, whenever you get a blessing, always give thanks and glory to God. That'll keep you joyful. That'll keep you humble. Amen? That's so important. It's all so important. Now, it's really key that we understand that when he's talking about abiding here, 
if you abide in me and my words abide in you. That's a key. You cannot reject God's word, do your own thing, and be abiding in Christ. In fact, do you know the Apostle John was radically impacted by the Gospel of John that he wrote and the, the words of Jesus that he was eyewitness of? And he wrote them down, inspired by the Holy Spirit. God uses different, all of us in different ways. We all have different fingerprints. The Gospel of John is way different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which we call the synoptic Gospels. The Gospel of John is amazing, and God did it a certain way through John. But John 15 really impacted the Apostle John. When you read 1 John, you see that meno that Jesus used over and over again becomes a favorite word of John in the 1 John, 2 John as well. Meno, abide. And you can see John 15 throughout 1 John, as well as other teachings of Jesus that he recorded in the Gospel of John. In fact, he, he here Jesus said to John, John was there, right? He said to him, right there, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. John knows we have to abide in his word. You know the warning that John gave in 1 John chapter 2, verse 25 and 26, about his words abiding in us? And the gospel, the word of the gospel abiding in us? John says, let that which you have heard from the beginning, that's the gospel, amen? Let that which you've heard from the beginning remain in you, meno, in you. If you remain in the word, right? Let that which you've heard from the beginning remain in you. If what you've heard from the beginning remains in you, meno, you will remain, there's a third time he used it in this, just one verse, verse 25. Let that which you've heard from the beginning remain, meno, in you. If what you've heard from the beginning remains, meno, in you. Okay, it's, all, it's from the Greek verb, meno, the word there. You will remain in the Father and in the Son. You catch that? Let that which you've heard from the beginning remain in you. If what you heard from the beginning remains in you, stays in you, you will stay, remain, abide in the Father and the Son. Verse 25. Then in verse 6, and you will receive the promise of eternal life. Beautiful. Receive, receive eternal life. Yeah, because the life is where? The life is in the Son, amen? Go to 1 John now and check out what John says here. Because remember, we are the branches, we're dead without the vine, amen? But as we abide in the vine, we are nourished by the sap, by the nourishment that comes from the vine, amen? And it's critical that we are then, therefore, abiding in the vine. And guess what? The vine represents eternal life. Jesus is Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter, John. He said, John, what's that, eleven twenty-five, I believe. John chapter, you know, 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now look at what we read in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes. Talking about Jesus. What we have looked at, what we touch with our hands concerning the word of life. And he's coming against Gnosticism who denied that Christ, that, that God became flesh. He's emphasizing that he's real. We touched him. We saw him. We experienced him. And he's called the word of what? Life. And the life, that is Jesus, was manifested. And we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the what? The eternal life. What's Jesus called right here, guys? The eternal life. Which was with the Father and was manifested to us. 
What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship that's abiding with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with who? The Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the eternal life, you guys. And as you abide in him, you have eternal life. Some say, well, if you have eternal life, you can't lose it because if you lost it, then it wasn't eternal. That's such a ridiculous argument. You know why? Because Jesus is the eternal life, amen? amen? If I cease to abide in him and I start cheating on my wife and going out and getting drunk and, and, and doing drugs and just leave her and say, and, and then all of a sudden, guess what? I'm going to wither, no longer abiding, and then I'll be cut off. Guess what? Did the eternal life cease being eternal life? No. no. He's the eternal life, amen? I just see, cease participating in his life. Do you get that? Just like right now, if they cut me off from the electricity here, my voice will cease to be amplified. Doesn't mean there's no electricity over there. It just means that I don't have it anymore. Okay? His eternal life, it's eternal because he is eternal life. And you only get eternal life when you come to him and you participate in his life. Amen? If you're cut off from him, well, it was never eternal life. No, eternal life's right here. It was eternal life. You just don't have it because you're not abiding in it. Do you follow that? I just say because there's silly surface level arguments that aren't really thought through sometimes that people use to, to basically get over the warning so you don't have to take them seriously, which is a big problem these days because everybody wants the health and wealth gospel and everything's positive and, you know, you don't have to really abide in Christ and that's a false teaching. Now, notice what he's emphasizing in the first, four, first three verses, that Jesus is our eternal life. Look at like bookends at the very last verse of John. Look what he says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, 21. 1 John chapter 5, the last verse or two. Uh, verse, we'll look at verse 20, the second to last verse. And we know that the Son of God has come, 1 John 5, 20, and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is what? The true God and what? Eternal life, amen? So it's imperative that we abide in Christ because the life is in his son. He's the vine. We are the branches. Look at 1 John chapter 5, back up a few verses to verse 11. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in who? In his son. Do you see how John 15, Jesus' teaching influenced John the apostle? You see how beautiful this is? He's the vine, guys. He's the lover. He's your maker. He's the lover of your soul. He, he wants you to have his life. He wants you to have real life, true life, from the true vine. And this testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Verse 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have what? Eternal life. Praise God, we can know that we have eternal life. There's so many people that struggle as to whether they think you can't know that you have eternal life. Muslims, you know, even Muhammad wondered if he would actually be saved in the end. Well, definitely not because he was trusting in his good works and he did a lot of evil works, by the way. Didn't have any real good works. The popes, you know, the Roman Catholic Church, it became like an anathema to believe that you had eternal life. That's a contradiction in first, of 1 John chapter 5, 11, 13. These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. Amen. And many others breed a predeterministic version in Christian church of predestination to where, you know, 
it's a secret as to who God chose and who he didn't, and who he really loves and who he really died for and who he really truly wants to be saved. That's a lie. I'm sorry. In fact, we did a whole series, about four messages long in 1 Timothy. Uh, a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago is when I finished that section of 1 Timothy, uh, which spanned really from the, you know, the first verses of 1 Timothy 2, even reached back to chapter 1, verse 15, where Paul said that God saved him as the chief of sinners to show others who would believe in him that they too could be saved, where we emphasize the grace of God. We did a series on the grace of God. If you're like, man, I, I wish we'd have just a really good series on the grace of God. Well, we just did it for a month, okay? We talked all about how, he, how, how Jesus Christ gave himself as a ransom for all, amen? It's in the text where he wills that all would be saved and come to knowledge of the truth, amen? Omnibenevolence, unlimited atonement, where he gave himself for everybody, amen? We have an awesome God. And, and I proved with this scripture over and over again that he loves you, that he sent his son to die for you, that he wants you to be saved, Amen? And that if we're not saved in the end, it's not because of him lacking love or him not wanting to us or him not dying for us, amen? It's on us because we wanted to do our short little thing, which is have our little 15 milliseconds of fame. I say milliseconds because it be compared to eternity. It's not 15 seconds even, man. It's nothing. Or we want to do our thing for, and you just, your life is so short, you didn't come to Christ. Or when you came to Christ, you didn't abide in Christ because you were tempted by the things in this world and gave up everything and sold, you know, out your eternal future for a, an infinitesimal aspect of time for fleeting pleasures that are here and then gone, that's not very wise. So in John, we realize that he, he, the life is in the Son. He that has the Son has a life. He that does not have the Son does not have the life. But these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. If you are trusting Jesus... Are you trusting Jesus right now? You can know that you have eternal life because you trust in him. That's how you abide in him. You just continue to trust in him. You continue to put your faith in him and trust in him. And if you're trusting in him, you're going to obey him. Amen? If you're trusting in him, you're going to pray. Well, if I'm trusting him, I'm going to pray, of course, because when you're trusting him, you're going to look to him. Amen? You're going to seek him. Amen? If you're trusting him, you're going to obey him. The Bible says faith without works is what? Is dead. You know, you're not saved by your works. Amen? A brother was playing with me a little bit, you know, uh, the other day. He goes, hey, Joe, I told somebody, you know, that, man, Joe's making it confusing on me, man. And when it, he says, I don't have to keep the law to be saved, you know. On the other hand, he says, I need to keep the law. And I'm like, well, I didn't really put it like that, bro. <laughs> I knew what he was saying. He was messing around. But I said, yeah. And he knows the truth. And he goes, yeah, I know. It is, we're not under the Mosaic law at all. First of all, it's which law are we talking about, amen? We're under the law of Christ, Amen. Now, the law of Christ picks up a lot of things that are in the Mosaic law in the New Testament, but it's not the Mosaic law, it's the law of Christ, amen? And we're not saved by keeping the law of Christ, right? Which is the New Testament teaching of Jesus, amen, the apostles, the prophets in the New Testament. We're saved by faith in Christ, but if we're following Jesus, amen, and we love him, guess what we're gonna be doing? Obeying the law of Christ. We're saved not by works, that's just the fruit of the root. The root is faith in Christ, amen? And the outcome of trusting Jesus will be good fruit. Are you with me? Okay, so never confuse the fruit with how you're saved. The fruit is just an outcome of you trusting Jesus, of you putting faith in Jesus. Are you still with me? So in 1 John chapter 4, he tells us, you know, well, let me let you know so you can have assurance that, hey, if you're trusting Jesus, you're saved. Look at 1 John chapter 5, 
Verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? You trust in him? Is what? Is born of God. You're born of God. Amen? Now go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. And we see in verse 7, verse 7, we can have assurance of who we are in Christ. And I'm writing this to you because John has some heavy warnings, but I'm giving you some, a sense of assurance in 1 John as well. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does what? Not know God, for God is love. Well, how do I know he loves me? Well, look at verse 9. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. God sent his son to show his love and share his love with you so you can participate in his life and so you can participate in his love. He explains what it means to abide in his love in verse 15 and 16. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Do you confess sincerely from your heart that Jesus Christ is the son of God? Praise God. That means that you are in the son and he abides in you and you in God. Verse 16, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Wow, that's amazing. And if we're abiding his love, that means when somebody hurts my feelings, when somebody says, you know, does something I think is terrible or whatever, that I love them, that I seek to forgive them because I'm abiding his love and he forgave me. He forgave you, amen. So when you're going through hard times with someone, that means you pray for them. He prayed for me. He loved me. He forgave me. And then we walk in love toward them and we forgive them. And then when you're going through a hard time, you're like, you get really ticked off and you want to get in the flesh. Your flesh is like, man, I can't believe that person said that or did that. I, you know, all that I've done for them or, well, you know, how could they do that or whatever goes through your mind. You need to say, wait a minute. What have I done to God? I've been far from perfect in my life and all of us have been far from perfect, myself included by far. And he's had mercy on me. I need to have mercy on that person. But in your own strength, you can't I'll just I'll muster up the mercy. No, then you say, God, help me. Please, Father, help me have mercy for that person because I'm hurting right now. And help me forgive that person and love that person. Amen? Are you with me? So that's how you walk in his love. You pray and you obey. There's three things I want you to really take from this message. Stay, abide, meno, stay, right? And ask what you wish when you're abiding him and pray, amen? Stay and pray. And as we'll see, obey. You need to know his word and his word needs to be abided in you so you can obey. You want to know what it means to abide? Abide in him according to John chapter 15. It means to stay and pray and obey. Okay? Now, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 24 through 26, that's, if you look at that now, since you're in 1 John, that's where he says, as for you, let that abide, the words memento from the Greek verb meno, uh, in you, and you, uh, which you've heard from the beginning, if, it's a condition, if, if, if what you heard from the beginning abides in that's from Menno again in you. You also will abide. There's Menno again. See, I told you John's influence from Jesus in the Son and in the Father. This is a promise which he had himself made to us, eternal life. Now look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. A few verses later, we read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. Now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. 
This is serious. Because if you're born of God and you're abiding in Jesus, you will be obeying. You will be obedient. I didn't say you'll be perfect. No one's perfect. Okay, no one's close. But your life will be characterized by staying on the straight and narrow and going forward and being obedient to Jesus. And when you fall, that will be the exception. It won't be characterized by being on the broad road and rebellion to Jesus, doing your own thing. We're on the exception you come to church once in a while. That's not abiding in him. In fact, look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Verse 9, no one who is born of God practices sin. Stay, pray, and obey. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed, that's his word, there it is. How do we abide in him? His word abides in us. Because his seed, remember Jesus sows the seed? Because his seed abides in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. In the Greek, it's in the perfect tense. No one who is born of God and continues to be born of God in the tense practices sin. Because his seed remains in him, stays in him, it abides in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. This is powerful stuff, guys. Powerful, amen? We have to be serious. Are you abiding in him? Are you obedient? If you're in rebellion to him, you're doing your own thing, man. You just come to church and say, but I'm a Christian. Millions of people in American churches today are doing just that. They're coming to church. Or they're not in church at all. Well, it's the first Sunday of football season. Come on, don't you, can't you tape the game at least? Okay, praise God, I, like, I think football is fun. But you know what? Don't put it before Jesus, amen? You got a tape. You, well, I don't have a tape. Well, get one. Go to church and tell, you know? And go to church and then watch it later or whatever, you know? You need, it's important to be in fellowship. It's important to be in the word, amen? It's important to be abiding in him. Now, and I do have to cover this because I referenced this really quickly, but I thought, man, I didn't really give this, the exact citation and stuff because there are a group of people out there right now saying, well, if you don't abide in him and you, you, you forsake him and, and you die in a, a drunk in the street, literally a very popular preacher, Chuck Swindoll, he said he had a, Chuck Swindoll said, yeah, I had a minister and he, he died, you know, a couple guys they evangelized with when I was a young minister and, and they're both, you know, one's an atheist and one died in the street as a, as a drunkard, you know, and stuff. And, but we'll see them in heaven. They just lost their rewards. And that spreads because he was a president of Dallas Theological Seminary. That doctrine just spread all over the church. People teach that same thing. Well, you, just because you're abiding him, you still have him. You just don't have your rewards. Well, go to 2 John. Go to 2 John. Go to verses 8 and 9. What chapter? There's only one chapter, if you want to call it a chapter. Verses 8 and 9. Look what it says here. Watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Are you watching yourself? Are you making sure that you're abiding? Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished. Do you know you can lose what you've accomplished in Jesus? But that you may receive a full reward. Look at verse 9 now. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide, meno, does not stay, remain, continue, abide, in the teaching of Christ, does not what? Does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. Notice he, when he says, you don't have God, but he says, he that abides in the what? Teaching. 
You can't just look at Jesus, some ethereal being, and say, oh, I got a relationship with him and reject his word or not abide in his word, man. You have to have the real Jesus. You have to be in his word. You need to be abiding in his word. His word needs to be abiding in you. Are you with me today? This is so serious. Now, let's go quickly now to verse 7. John chapter 15, verse 7. If you abide in me, Jesus says, my words and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be, it will be done for you. Verse not 8 now, my father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Amen? So we want to bear much fruit. Amen? And show that, yeah, I'm a disciple of Jesus. And let it be known that you are a disciple of Christ by bearing fruit for him. Are you bearing? He wants you not just bear some fruit. He wants you to bear much fruit. Now I'll say this. If you don't bear much fruit and you bear some fruit, you are still saved, okay? Okay, there's, there's, you know, there's baby Christians and then there's mature Christians. We talked about that last week, so I won't get into that, but I want to say this much to you guys. Don't be content to stay a baby Christian because if you stay a baby Christian too long, you can fall away. That's what Hebrews chapter 5 and 6 are about because the person that Paul, the author, not Paul, the author of Hebrews says you ought to be teaching now, but you can't take, you're not taking meat, you're still on milk. You know, and then he warns in chapter six of falling away and gives one of the strongest warnings. Many believe it's the strongest one in Hebrews chapter six in the entire New Testament about falling away, apostasy. I believe Hebrews 10 is the strongest warning, but I believe Hebrews six is just quickly on its heels. And it's because it's, it's he's warning you to go on to maturity now, bear more fruit. Now, if it's a baby Christian, if you die as a baby Christian, and you're bearing some fruit and you're following Jesus, you're saved. You don't have to. So right now, if you're like, man, I, I wish I was a strong Christian. I'm, I'm not a strong Christian, but I'm, I'm trusting Jesus. I'm following him and I'm, I'm seeking him. I'm abiding his word. I'm praying. I'm, I'm staying. I'm praying and I'm obeying, but I'm not doing the level I want to do. Great. Well, praise the Lord. You're right with Jesus. You, but you want to grow. Amen. You just don't want to stay there. Verse nine, just as the father has loved me, I also love you. Abide in my love. Wow. I love that. That's that full circle again, right? Verse 10. Here's, we talked about stay, pray, and obey. Here's obey. Look at verse uh, 10. If you what? Keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Let's read that again. Let's read this together. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So, brothers and sisters, if I say I love Jesus, but I don't abide in his love and I do my own thing, am I really loving him? If I tell my wife I love you so much, but then I cheat on her, am I really loving my wife? Let's be honest. That's not love. That's not love. If you really love the Lord, you'll be obedient to him. First John says, you know, this is love of God, that we obey his commandments and it's not burdensome. That's the love of God. That we obey his commandments and it's not burdensome. I shouldn't think, man, it's such a bummer that I have to put a message together, you know, through the week and then work late Sunday night and, or Saturday night and wake up early Sunday morning and work hard and then preach. It's such a bummer. Such a, no, I love Jesus, man. I love God. I look at it as such a privilege that I get to help win souls and help strengthen the church. I look at it as, wow, Lord, praise God. You are so good. Look what you've done for me. That I could do any little thing to make you, to glorify you and make you happy. What a privilege that is, amen? And that's what we should all be doing. Say, praise God, it's a privilege to obey the Lord. And I'll say, man, you know, pff, 
Why can't, why do I have to open the door for my wife? It's a bummer, man. My shoulders hurt right now, you know. Her back's hurt, by the way. But no, I love her. I want to open the door for her, you know. Not that I do it every time I try to, but she doesn't ever ask me to. She always says, you don't have to do that. I just do it, you know, since I was young. And in my little bit older age, <laughs> I was say older age, but I'm not there yet, am I? I guess I am. So in my old age, you know, because you lo- I love her, you know. Oh, what a bummer. She wants me to rub her back. Doesn't mean you're not tired. Doesn't mean you don't have fatigue, but you, in your heart, you want to be a blessing. You know what I'm saying? You love each other and you abide with her. You stay close to him. What kind of relationship do I have with my wife if I say, okay, let's have dinner, honey, and I just got done cooking. And, uh, and I say, let's have dinner. And okay, okay, you sit at the table. I'm going to go in, you know, my office and eat, you know. I'm not saying you can't ever do that. I'm not saying I'll never do that, but we have dinner. I don't that's very rare, not if she's sitting at the table. And, or you have your kids, and you all go to separate. You say, okay, kids, I'll go to your room and eat dinner. And you stay at the table. What kind of relationship is that, you know? And if I only see my wife once in a blue moon, but I'm not interested in, what kind of abiding relationship is that? How, what kind of relationship do you have with Jesus, man? If you just visit him once in a while, you know? Uh, it's not the way it ought to be. Uh, <laughs> in fact, Keith Green I love Keith Green, and I, I'm constantly, I'm like, I'm like, like John mentions Keith Green a lot, John Heber. Where is John Heber? I just saw him. There he is. Oh, he's way, he, back in the seat. I got warm for you back there, bro. Is, uh, he's always mentioning Keith Green, and we both compare notes on Keith Green. We love Keith Green. But one of my favorite songs by him is, To Obey is Better Than Sacrifice. That's my, one of my wife's favorite verses, by the way. She quotes that quite often. But he has a song called, To Obey is Better Than Sacrifice. And he's talking about abiding in Christ. You know what he, the songs, in the song he says, I want more than Sunday and Wednesday nights. And it's like the Lord singing to you, you know. I want more than Sunday and Wednesday nights. And praise the Lord for you guys that were there Wednesday night. Try to make it Wednesday night. We had a great study time together. There's a lot of people here from the fellowship and we have a great time just getting them. But he's singing in the, in the, in the in, in, representing God. I want more than Sunday and Wednesday nights because if you can't come to me every day, then don't bother coming at all. Keith Green, yeah, it's not your mamby-pamby, wimpy Christian music of today, you know. It's pretty, a lot of it is mamby-pamby. Look at a lot of the Bethel stuff and Hillsong stuff, which we don't even do at our church, you know. There was some glorious music, or it sounds glorious, some of the lyrics, I admit that, but because it leads to a bunch of false teachers that they endorse, we don't sing it. Because otherwise people get into it and they're like, oh, who is this? I want it more. And before you know it, they're listening to false prophets of the NAR movement who believe we're going to take over the world for Christ and and take over the seven mountains and become and rule Babylon before Christ. No, if you rule in Babylon before Christ comes back, you are Babylon. Okay. Anyway, uh, I love that, that, that song. And so we stay, we, we abide in Christ and we obey his commands and they're not burdensome. And the more we love him, you're saying, but sometimes I, it's, it's hard for you to obey him. It becomes like a burden. Just fall in love with him or reckon, look at the cross. Look at what Jesus did for you more. Look at the fact that he made you. Look that he's giving you the gift of eternal life through faith in his son. Look at all, how radically he was slaughtered on your behalf. Look at all the work he's done on your behalf. Look at the fact that he's preparing a place for you and he loves you. Amen? Amen. Consider all of that and, and rejoice in who he is and what he's done. And then you'll want to obey more, you know? So it's interesting. Verse 11 these things I have spoken to you. Look at this. This is so important. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy, uh, so that my joy may be in you 
and that your joy may be made full. Did you know one verse we left out? I should have probably read it. First John 5 or First John 1, 1 through 3 we read about how he is the eternal life. In verse 4 he says, I've written these things to you that your joy may be full or complete. First John was written so they could have full joy. And that full joy comes through love of the Son, faith in Christ, his work in us, and obedience to him. Satanism says, Kenneth Anger in his movie Lucifer Rising, promoting Satanist Alester Crowley, at the front of that, that, that movie where he promotes Satanism, it says disobedience is the key to joy. The opposite. That's Satanism, folks, and that's a lie from the pit of hell. And we know that because Aleister Crowley eating his own feces. Watch our last video on, on, uh, on Marvel. That's what he did. And we take communion, they would, he would eat feces and tell his disciples to eat human poop as a sacrament because it represented Satan. That's a good representation, I guess, of Satan, but not a good thing to do. And he was the most debauched, perverted, disgusting person perhaps that ever lived. And many of his people were just miserable, dying left and right in his sex orgies and everything else. It's such a lie from the pit of hell. He wants our joy to be full. He wants our joy to be complete. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. We're supposed to be loving each other. We're supposed to be ministering one to another, encouraging one another, not by just having a mere feeling of, or sentimentalism, but actually sacrificing our lives for each other, laying down our lives for each other, giving each other our time, our talent, our treasure for the kingdom of God. In fact, look at verse 13. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that, he, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. We're not as friends if we do our own thing. The Bible says, how can two walk together unless they be in agreement? If we don't recognize him as our Lord, how can we truly be friends with him? How can we truly obey his commandments? You know, and it's interesting because he says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Friends of God? That's amazing. Verse 15, no longer do I call you slaves for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Wow. Think about that. Job, King David, Peter, James, John, Jude, uh, Paul, they all call, are all called servants of God. They address, and what a privilege that is to be a servant of God. But guess what? This goes further, man. Not just servants. Now I call you friends. James 2.23 says this, and the scripture was uh, fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Wow, that blows me away that God wants intimacy with me, that he wants intimacy with you, that God, we're all, God's not partial, it says. It's not like, oh, I want this with him. No, whosoever will may come, amen, John 3.16. He wants intimacy with all of us. We just need to respond to him and come to faith in Christ and receive salvation through what Christ did on the cross. Amen? And have the gift of eternal life. You know, I just want to encourage you guys as we end here uh, in verses 16 now and 17. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And he's talking about the apostles. He chose them to be specific apostles, prayed all night. And of course, he chose us as well. Amen. Many are called, but few are chosen. The invitation in Matthew 22 goes out to everybody. 
Highways and byways, just send out the invitation to come to my, the banquet for my son. Amen? And some said, well, they were too busy, it says. And you know what? Jesus says they weren't willing to come. But those who are willing to come, guess who they are? Whoever comes becomes part of the banquet, and they're chosen. How are they chosen? Because he wants all to come. But if you don't come, well, guess what? He only ultimately wants you to be with him forever because you cannot be with him forever in his presence in heaven and be a good citizen of the kingdom if you don't want to be there. So if you're willing and you come to him, then you are among the chosen. Amen? Those who aren't chosen are those who refuse to come. Those who come become the chosen because we are chosen in Christ. He's called the chosen one. He's called the elect one. And we come to him, we become part of the chosen. We're chosen in the beloved. Amen? It's a beautiful truth. Let's pass out the cup and the bread, please. And as we pass it out, I want to encourage you. We're not quite done yet, but look at verse 16. I just want to get going because I want to get done on time. Uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you, verse 16. And you don't have to look around. You can look at the text, chapter 15, verse 16, unless you're receiving the bread. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would uh, go and what? Bear what? Fruit. And that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. This I command you, that you love one another. So guess what? One way you bear fruit, right, is by loving one another. Amen? Are you loving your brothers and sisters? That's fruit. That bears fruit. Just love people, guys. But if you have unforgiveness and hatred toward your brothers and you cut yourself off from them because you get angry because this sister said that or that brother did that and then you just make an excuse not to be in fellowship with all believers because of how you felt, well, that's really just an excuse because you can forgive or you can move to other brothers and sisters if somebody's mistreating you and you can actually confront that brother or sister if, if they're in rebellion to God and bring a brother or sister with you if they continue to be in rebellion to God. God always has a way to deal with it. Amen. What's the point here? He wants us to bear fruit. He wants us to bear not more fruit. And then he wants us to bear much fruit, amen? And then he wants us to bear fruit that remains forever. How many of you, when you die, you want to know that you have fruit in heaven forever? If we could all stand, that would be great. We want to, we want to bear fruit forever. That lasts forever. And guess what? If you just love people in the name of Christ and you're a blessing to them, amen, that brings fruit. Also, he says, if you look at that verse, he said, when you go, I want you to bear much. We should be going. We should be going. In Matthew 28, verses 19 20, Jesus said to his apostles, go into all the world, amen, and preach the gospel to all the nations. Make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age, amen? He's with us. He wants us to go. And like Keith Green has another song, <laughs> called Jesus Commands Us to Go. And in one of the lines in there is basically he commands us to go, but if we stay, it should be the exception if we stay, he says. And that's right. It's an exception. We're not doing what's normal. We should all be witnessing in some way. We should make it our mission to reach the lost. Amen? I love you guys, man. And I praise God for you. And I praise God that we all have the privilege to serve him together. And that the Lord has given us a bunch of brothers and sisters that love Jesus. And we're growing together, bearing fruit together. And by the way, just giving in this fellowship for God's work, you're bearing fruit through your giving. You're bearing fruit through your praise. You're bearing fruit through loving one another. You're bearing fruit by being a witness to the lost. You're bearing fruit by praying, by staying, and obeying. Father God, we thank you 